We believe in functional mental wellness, a holistic approach to mental health. We know that there's hope for those of us who have experienced trauma, even profound trauma, and that's why we created the Universe Is Your Therapist podcast. We believe whether you call it God, the universe, source, unity, or love, that there is something much greater than us that conspires for our good. We envision a world of healing and connection, and we teach you simple but powerful practices that integrate your mind, body, and spirit so that you can come home to your highest self and your truest identity. You are not broken, you are loved, and you can heal. My name is Amy Hoyt, and together with my sister, Lena, we will take you on a journey of healing and self-discovery. Welcome back to another episode. Today, we are talking about codependency. And Codependency has been something that has been used quite a bit in popular mental health literature, as well as clinical literature for quite a while. And so we're going to start with just talking about what codependency is, how it's defined, as well as what happens to that definition when we use a trauma-informed lens. So first of all, Lena, what's codependency? Well, before we get into that, can I ask you where you first heard the term codependency? Yes. Um, I think I first heard it when we were at Hazleton. Um, so when I was getting sober for the listeners, um, I was getting sober at a facility called Hazleton in Minnesota. And I think it was like the third week my family came out and we did some family work and we did a lot of group therapy, but I'm pretty sure it was at Hazleton that I first was aware of that. That's, that's what I remember as where, as, as well, is uh, hearing it first at Hazelden. And it's interesting because the definition actually came out of the um, AA movement and was noted to have been used as early as the mid-1950s. And so codependency started out as a way of describing enabling behavior with um, an addict and somebody that would um, make sure that no bad or harmful consequences came to the drinker or the alcoholic as a result of their addiction. And then in the 90s, it started being used more um, broadly. And in today's vernacular, it's being used as any relationship in which there's an imbalance between two people and where one person tends to be more of the taker and the other person tends to be more of the giver. So that's kind of the evolution of the definition of codependency. Oh, that's super interesting. I didn't realize it went back so far to the fifties. Yes. Okay. So it was a product of Bill W and friends. Yes. Okay. So here's my question for those who are listening and may not, um, understand what enabling is. Can we just really quick talk about what enabling is? Sure. Um, enabling is when we have somebody that we love, that we're in relationship with, that we care about, who engages in destructive behavior. And instead of allowing them consequences from the destructive behavior, we jump in and try to remove the consequences. So if you had a father or mother who was alcoholic or an addict, 
It would mean that you as a child would call in sick to work for your parent because they were passed out and they, you couldn't wake them up so they could go to work. Um, now it can be applied to any imbalance in a relationship in terms of um, is somebody in the relationship required to jump through hoops or walk on eggshells to make the relationship work and to help the um, addict or the person with the problematic behavior not have to suffer consequences from those choices. Okay, thank you. So what are, you and I have talked about this privately, about what are some of the challenges of the current definition of codependency that you see? What I see is one of the biggest challenges is that it's not seen through a trauma-informed lens. And one of the things that I've been saying for a couple of years is there's no such thing as codependency. It's just a trauma reaction, et cetera, et cetera. But when I was thinking about it this morning, I realized that the term may still be helpful in describing certain behaviors and um, in describing a certain style of engaging with another person. But if we don't include the trauma-informed lens on it, then we're not taking into account the drive that we all have for connection and the um, fear we have for, of not being loved or of being rejected or abandoned. And those behaviors that we've termed as codependent actually can come out of mirror neurons in which we um, reflect internally what we're seeing in another person. And this happens subconsciously. And when that does happen, we start to experience what the person in front of us is experiencing. This can then trigger our autonomic nervous system. And we go into a set of behaviors that's designed to enhance our safety in the relationship. And so if we're afraid that somebody will abandon us and with addiction, that's really common because when you're an addict, your primary relationship is with your um, substance of choice. And so if, if I am engaging with an addict and I have mirror neurons that trigger my autonomic nervous system, then the trauma comes up in subconscious form and I start engaging in behaviors that are designed to prevent that person from leaving me, giving up on me, rejecting me. And so my drive for safety bumps up against my drive for connection. And that's where it gets a little um, difficult and, and dysfunctional maybe. But I, I even hate saying the word dysfunctional in this because our drive for connection and our drive for safety are not dysfunctional. It's just that when they get triggered at the same time, we can engage in behaviors that are reflective of a trauma. So I think that is a really, really excellent explanation. And it is a little high level. So I just want to break it down a little bit for some of the listeners who may not know a couple things. First of all, um, one of the things I know from my work with you is that we have two drives as humans, two critical drives at all time, the drive for connection and the drive for safety. And those are biological inherent drives that because we're pro-social mammals and we are 
primed for safety or, you know, looking for safety. So those two extremely, um, inherent drives are constantly kind of mitigating and, and like balancing one another. Correct. Correct. Okay. And then when let's talk about mirror neurons a little bit more, because, Mm -hmm. um, that's like a whole new concept that blew my mind when I found out about it. So you're saying if I'm, if I'm understanding your explanation, you're saying that the way we have previously used codependency is problematic because it does not include a trauma informed lens and a trauma informed lens includes looking at how someone's drive for connection and drive for safety affects all of their behaviors within relationships, within relationships. Okay. Okay. So knowing that, you are proposing that a new definition of codependency would be wider. It might include a set of behaviors, as you said, that could still be used to describe someone's behaviors. But now if we broaden the definition of codependency, we're really saying there is a biological reason for these set of behaviors and it comes from a place of an unhealed trauma. Right. Is that correct? Yes, because of the drive for safety and the drive for connection. And what I find really problematic is how um, it may have started before the 90s, but I know in the 90s, it was very common in the self-improvement field and the arena to see codependency as pathological. And I have a really big concern with that because if you don't understand how trauma impacts the way we engage with each other, then you're calling something pathological that's actually a biological imperative. It's just that the signals get mixed up. And when we are trying to prevent disconnection, our nervous system will engage in all sorts of behavior or prompt us to engage in all sorts of behavior designed to maintain a connection with somebody who oftentimes isn't able to connect. But we have no idea of this because we don't realize that when we're engaging with someone with problematic behavior or someone who has um, either behavioral or substance addictions, we honestly don't realize that their capacity to connect is severely limited. And because we are driving for connection, but we are also driving for safety, we jump through hoops, we walk on eggshells, we make excuses, we give more than we are getting in the relationship. And when we start to think that there's something wrong with us because of this, and that I have a problem because I engage in this behavior, we are completely ignoring the idea that it all comes out of trauma. That is such a great and helpful, um, I think, call to action for clinicians to Mm -hmm. look beyond the typical definition. And it's also such a great understanding for people who are going through this or who have been called codependent that, um, 
you know, we have both types of listeners for our podcast. And so I'm aware that if there's a coach or a clinician or a therapist to look beyond that, um, that smaller definition of codependency and, and try not to pathologize, pathologize that. And if you are a listener because you're interested in helping yourself, then it's, it goes back to what you say to me all the time. And that is everything you've ever done, every behavior you've ever engaged in has been either for survival or connection and has got you to this point and you have survived. Right. That you know better, you can make choices to change your behavior and deal with what the underlying cause is. But I just want to let our listeners know, once again, something that you tell me all the time is if you have codependent tendencies, just consider it could be a trauma response. And it most likely is. Um, and Amy, oh, excuse me. Go ahead. I was, I was thinking about some of the other things that we talk about frequently. And um, one of the things that we talk a lot about in doing this work is the concept of self-compassion. And if you pathologize your own behavior, that's a drive for connection, then it's really hard to be in a place of self-compassion. And so instead of being curious and understanding where it may come from, from a past trauma or from um, problems with how we attach um, in our younger years, we see it as a fault. And so then it becomes, I have a problem that needs to be solved instead of something or some things have happened to me that I need to address. And those things have led to certain behavior patterns that are not serving me any longer. That's great. Normally, we have a tip that we give people um, on each episode. And I'm wondering what would be an a appropriate tip we can give them for looking at codependency or codependent patterns. I, I, it might drive people crazy, but I'm really, really um, strongly insistent that just noticing without judgment becomes its own intervention. And as we notice our behavior without judging it, we can become curious about what the intention of the behavior is. If we think about the idea that um, our behaviors in relationships are coming with good, in, good intentions, even if they may be perceived as maladaptive, then when we notice ourselves engaging in certain behaviors and we think to ourselves, okay, well, let me think about this. I'm just gonna be curious. I'm noticing that I'm engaging in people-pleasing behavior. And let me think about how that might be connected to either my drive for connection or my drive for safety. And as we do that, we're exercising benevolent curiosity that we've talked about before. So instead of I'm bad, I'm wrong, it's more, I'm really curious about how I ended up in this pattern or why I'm engaging in this type of behavior right now, not because I need to fix myself, but because I want to learn how to move on from this. I think that's wonderful. I would also add, I am a huge fan of journaling. 
Right. And a lot of times when I'm thinking through an issue, it's difficult for me to make heads or tails of it, even when I'm trying to be self-aware. And so if it is something that helps, um, I would encourage our listeners to journal about it and notice what comes up. These are all clues for us right? of where to go in our healing journey. So. Sure. It's all information. And, and then the, the other thing that just occurred to me as you were talking, Amy, is that most of us have been impacted by alcoholism or addiction. And um, the 12 steps are a beautiful way of extracting ourselves from the dynamic that becomes created in, in situations where either somebody we love was raised by an alcoholic or an addict, or when we have been impacted because somebody that, um, that has been close to us over our lives has also been impacted by addiction. And looking into the concept of the 12 steps and instead of being frightened away from the 12 steps, taking a look at it from a place of benevolent curiosity and thinking about how engaging in a different pattern of behavior can free us. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for another great episode. And we look forward to being back next week. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to go deeper on this subject or any other subjects we've covered in the podcast, we are so excited to be launching our signature membership program at MendingTrauma.com. This is a trauma-informed mental health membership where we combine clinically effective practices, courses, and mentoring while putting you in the driver's seat. We teach you how to heal your trauma with the latest research combining mind, body, and spirit. We want to walk you through a healing journey while also empowering you. If you have felt this episode is helpful, we would absolutely love if you would go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your pods and give us a review. We'd also love it if you would share it with someone you think it might help. Tag us on social media at mendingtrauma.com or at Amy Hoyt PhD. We would love to reshare. And also, if there's anything we can do to help, we would love to hear from you. Email info at mendingtrauma.com. Give us your suggestions or topics you want to hear about. We would absolutely love to be of more service to you. We're so excited because we have so many good episodes coming up in season two, and we can't wait to go on this journey with you.